Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. All right, guys, welcome back to the Movement PT Coffee Cast. My name's Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? Doing pretty good, Dalton. How about you? Not bad. It's a beautiful, sunny day today in London, Ontario, Canada, and uh, we have a fellow Canadian on the, uh, on the podcast with us today. Uh, we have Dr. Cameron Marshall, who's a chiropractor and is the creator of concussion, uh, Complete Concussion Management. Um, which is a company that he founded and he is the president of. Uh, he has a lot of knowledge in the concussion area and we're excited to have him on the show. So welcome. Glad to be here, boys. Yeah, it's nice to have, uh, you're already off to a good start. You graduated from Western um, and you're Canadian. So I think you already won us over. <laughs> Are you guys in uh, second year there for PT? Yep, second. Second in the last year. So we're, we're, on, our, we're on our way out. <laughs> nice did you guys do did you guys do undergrad there as well uh no i did my undergrad at the university of windsor okay yeah mine yeah. was at uh, brock university nice nice yeah. okay <laughs> yeah. awesome anyway i love western love barney's <laughs> <laughs> barney's it's probably got a lot of people there right now it's like it's oh. 25 out it's beautiful like that. it's a beautiful day for a patio drink <laughs> nice uh, so uh, let's get into it a little bit. Why don't you just introduce yourself um, to our to our listeners and kind of give them a little bit of background? Sure. Yeah. Uh, name's Cam Marshall. Um, I went to Western, studied kinesiology there. Uh, I've been kind of a uh, athlete my whole life. Played junior level hockey, and uh, when I went to Western, I actually played on the Western lacrosse team for. Uh, three of the four years that I was there. Uh, in my fourth year of kinesiology, I got paired with the men's hockey team for, um, for kind of the athletic injuries uh, program. Uh, for those Western alums, you'll all know kind of Gary Lipensky, and he had a, uh, a uh, athletic injuries course that kind of started in first year. And as you progressed through and got, you know, um, more and more into it, um, if, if you made it into the fourth year, they paired you with the team. And that's really what got me into kind of the sports injury um, side of things. And so when I was there, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with that. I was thinking orthopedic surgery, that was my main kind of focus. And um, when I had the opportunity to shadow some of the ortho was at the hospital, um, just talking to them about the opportunities that are available in Canada for orthopedic surgeons, it's pretty limited. So uh, I decided that wouldn't be a good use of, of my, my time. And so I kind of switched focus at that point. Not really sure what to do. And uh, a couple of the guys on the team, when I was working there, their dads were, were chiropractors. And so anytime I had a neck or a back issue, I'd always kind of grab them because, you know, I'm just the student trainer. I didn't really know much of the time. I'd grab them to come in and assess and, you know, see, you know, can this guy, he's got a neck injury. I don't really know what to do here. And uh, I'd let them assess and I'd just talk to them and ask them, you know, how do you like what you do and everything like that. I'd actually never been to a Cairo before. Uh, but uh, just talking to these guys and watching them work with their hands, it seemed appealing to me because that's something that uh, I wanted to do. I think that kind of was the ortho flavor, you know, I wanted to, to uh you know, work with my hands, but be in kind of the sports medicine realm. And so um, uh, Cairo seemed kind of like a natural fit. And so I did, uh, did four years of Cairo, 
and uh, and then when I was done when I was done at uh, when I was done with that, then I uh, I applied for a uh, sports medicine um, fellowship program, which is an additional two year postdoctorate residency, and um, I ended up you know getting into that. I think there's only there's only three of us um, that got in, um, and then with that you have to do research. And so I was, I was playing around with performance stuff and, you know, I was looking at kind of vibration therapy as a potential kind of research avenue to look at. And, uh, one of the supervisors of the course was big into kind of vibration as a, as a tissue modality, but also as a, as a potential performance enhancement for, you know, um, you know, jumping and squatting and things like that. And so, um, I was kind of looking at that and then, um, and then this concussion thing happened with Sidney Crosby and, you know, he got, he got his injury and uh, we had these things called rounds presentations. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so they'd give you a topic and you'd have, you'd have about two months to find out everything you could from a research standpoint about a particular topic. And so they would usually just give it to you. And uh, I had an open topic and it was right around the time of that injury. And so one of my supervisors at the time was just like, why don't you do concussions? Like, you know, find out what's going on there. And, um, so I dove into it. I had two months, I went through all the literature I could find on it. And I just became absolutely hooked on the fact that, you know, most people assume that, well, you know, we don't know any of it. Well, in fact, we know quite a bit. Um, you know, we don't know a lot, like there's still a lot we do need to know, but there is a lot that we do know. And so it kind of opened up this Avenue and I, I focused my entire research, you know, focus into it and, um, started publishing some research in the area and, just because I was immersed in it, I kind of started my own concussion program at my clinic. And then from there we started training other people and um, we're now um, complete concussion management was incorporated in 2013. And so we just celebrated our fifth anniversary nice. and uh, yeah, we have 200 or so clinics now partnered in Canada that are running our program. Uh, we have probably 20 or 30 in the U S now, uh, that are either on our system or going through the training at this point. Um, another 20 years in Australia, same thing. And then we have probably, uh, five or six in the uh, UK. So we've started our, we've started our kind of more international, uh, all over the world. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a long winded story for, uh, tell us about yourself, but, uh, no, that was good. I think what appreciated I, it. I think what I got was <laughs> that, uh, the reason why you went to concussion is because you wanted to be the good old Canadian kid that saved Sidney Crosby and, and saved, the, <laughs> saved the Canadian moral of the story basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm just a huge fanboy. That's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take us through a little bit about, uh, what the program is like, like, uh, what is your kind of complete concussions rehab, uh, kind of, protocol look like what are some um, involved with it yeah i mean i mean that's a, a that's a 35 hour question right there that's about how long our training is <laughs> but um it's i mean in a nutshell it's um i, I mean I, what's the easiest way to explain it i guess it, it depends on if you're acute or chronic um it's it's evidence based and that's all we do right because i'm i come at this from a research angle um and in kind of going through all that research kind of started putting it all together. Right. Cause if you read any one paper, it's going to be refuted by 10 others and you got to try and piece it all together. And so my job in going through this was, was trying to synthesize it all and try to find, okay, what do we know? What don't we know? What's kind of iffy. And um, I mean, it's, it's a whole thing. 
thing. Like the idea of the program is we want to make the people that take our course, we want them to be experts in concussion. We want them to know every single piece of information that we currently know on the topic. Because part of like the appropriate care for a patient, I think a big, big part of appropriate care for a patient is being able to educate that patient. Yeah. Right. And so knowledge is power. The more you know about this and the deeper your knowledge and understanding of this condition are, the better you are suited to help your patients. And um, I mean, I guess we came at this also from like that underdog mentality of, of, you know, most people are going to go see their physician when they have a concussion and we're going to try and get them coming see, you know, a lot of times chiros and PTs, right? So, well, we better make damn sure that those chiros and PTs know their shit. Right. Because if they don't, that looks bad on AR brand, but the whole profession in general and people start looking at it going, well, I'm not doing that again. And and they're going to actually encourage people to go the other way. And so we came at this like very, very deep. We didn't want to do surface level learning. So that's why the course is actually 35 hours long. It's 12 modules. Uh, it starts with kind of international consensus statements, kind of bird's eye view. Um, and then, and drill down into, you know, pathophysiology, what's going on with blood flow, what's going on from a metabolic standpoint, what is a concussion, why does it happen, why do some people's symptoms take, you know, a, a week to go away, and why do some people take months to years, right, and then what do we do about it, right, now, and like I was saying before, is that we've kind of developed algorithms depending on you know where the patient is in their recovery process so if they're an acute patient um you know you're kind of guiding them through standard you know return to learn processes and how can i help a kid get back to school what type of accommodations can i give them um you know what type of food should they be eating and you know there's things on like dietary supplementation food recommendations eating healthy to reduce you know inflammatory markers that, that could prolong symptoms so we take this at a level that is um, extremely in depth, right? So when patients come in, the first thing is like we take them through, you know, a neurological screenings to make sure we're ruling out more serious conditions. But then it, here's what you're going to be eating for the next two weeks. Here's what you're going to be doing. Here's how much you're going to be sleeping. Like we're telling them the optimal way for them to recover in in that in, in in the shortest amount of time possible. And then how do we get them back to sports safer and et cetera, et cetera. Now on the chronic side of things. I mean, that's a whole different ballpark, right? Like it depends, you know, what have they been doing since? Uh, how far out are they? Uh, have they been, you know, resting ever since? Because that used to be what we told people to do was just sit in a dark room and do nothing. Right. And now we're learning that, you know, that's not so good. And uh, the best thing you can start doing now is getting people exercising. And so now what have they been doing? What advice have they been given before? And let's now start to unravel that. So um, we've kind of developed algorithms based on the research to guide that kind of decision and flow. Uh, For example, when somebody comes in to see us, if they're any more than two weeks out, um, 14 days, and actually now I'm starting to do this even earlier, probably about 10 days. If somebody comes to see us and they're 10 days from their concussion and they're still symptomatic, they're going on the treadmill whether they like it or not. And as long as they, they're safe to do so. Right. And the reason is to, because one of the issues that can happen with concussion is a blood flow impairment. Well, the way to assess that is through the treadmill test. And once you get your findings on the treadmill test, that guides the rehab because the rehab for blood flow impairment is exercise, but it's exercise done in a, in a specific sub-symptom threshold kind of manner. So that's step one. 
Then step two, all right, let's check out your visual system. Let's get you doing all sorts of ocular motor stuff. Okay, well, there's a, so now we've established you have a little bit of a blood flow issue, but we're going to exercise. You're going to exercise on your own. Here's your heart rate. Here's how I want you to do it. Then we've established, okay, now there's a bit of an ocular motor thing. We're going to give you these sets of exercises to start rehabbing that. Okay, now let's check your vestibular. Okay, vestibular's fine. Great, move on. Now let's check your neck. Okay, when I push here, it refers a pain into your head, and that's where you're getting your headaches. Okay, great. Now we know that your headaches are actually neck related, not concussion related. Right. And let's start, let's start doing some manual treatment on your neck and let's get you rehab those, uh, you know, deep neck flexors that are all destroyed from the impact you took and the whiplash that came with it. Right. So it's, it's just finding out what is the cause of the symptoms, piecing it together, um, and kind of having that flow and then, you know, using the tools that a lot of us already have in the toolbox as well as additional ones on top of that, that you, that are more, you know, kind of integrative and concussion specific. But, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, that's in it in a nutshell. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, obviously that was, that's a lot. And I think, um, when it comes to concussion, a lot of times I think we're not, like you're saying, you're trying to educate people to have those skills. And I think when we learn concussion in school, there's not enough time to go through all that stuff, right? So we get a lot of surface level stuff. And a lot of times when people talk concussion, they think just one thing, but you just went into a whole slew of things in terms of exercise, vestibular, neck pain, like differentiating all these different things. And I think for someone who doesn't have that background just gets overwhelmed by all yeah. the, the different things that play a factor into it and they might not know what to do. So they just kind of stay away from it. So I think it's interesting that you guys are trying to create that common understanding around a, an injury that's super like that's becoming more relevant now than ever. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's stay, it's also staying on top of it. So you're, you're going to get, you know, at the first um, you know, you make him out of the course being very confident, but then, you know, two patients in, it's going to punch you in the face and you're going to go, what, yeah. what, what the hell do I do now? But that's what learning is, right? It's giving yeah. you that confidence. And the thing what we've tried to establish our network is, is that ability for continu for continuous learning. So we've developed a Facebook group where all the practitioners are on that Facebook group. It's a closed group that's only trained people. And they, and we have sports docs on there. We have optometrists on there. We have naturopathic doctors. We have all sorts of stuff. And so people come on and go, Hey guys, I got this different okay, so this 13-year-old kid with a pre-existing history of blah, yada, 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 still not recovering, having issues with like noise sensitivity that I can't seem to figure out, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, you get people now from around the world chiming in and going, going well, have you looked at this? Oh, shit, I didn't. That's cool. Uh, I'm going to do that, right? Maybe, maybe it's a referral to a certain person or a certain profession they didn't even know existed, but right. here we are. Yeah. And so that's the type of continuous learning like that, that we're trying to to foster and another thing that we do is we have a research team that that does this but every single week uh, actually every tuesday um we sit down and we go through all of the research on concussion that's been published that week we read all the abstracts and go, okay what's worth taking a closer look at based on the abstracts then we pull the papers um um, based on sneaking into university uh, databases with our <laughs> friends' passwords, but don't tell anyone. Um, cough, cough, yeah. Cough, cough. And, and so we get, we get full copies of the paper, and then we kind of distribute them, and everyone has kind of their, you know, four or five papers that they're responsible for reading and, and synthesizing, and they, then they bring it back the following week, and we review it and go, okay, this is a good study. How does it change what we're currently doing? How does it reaffirm what we're currently doing? You know, are we on the right track? Are we missing something completely? And we put it all together. And then at the end of the month, we have our, our, our full monthly research update 
that then goes out to all the clinics and clinicians within our network so that every month they get updated. So it says, okay, I know we were doing this, but there's research now starting to question that. So maybe don't be so quick to jump into that anymore. Maybe kind of take pause and, and think, okay, well, you know, and, and then again, it's only one study. How good is the study? And we kind of analyze it in that way too. And just, and so the goal is, is you, you know, you take the course, you get that, that very, very, very deep level of understanding. And then on top of that, every new study that comes out, you're basically given that synopsis of it so that you're always, our goal, again, like I said, our clinicians, we want our clinicians to be experts in this area. It's the only way it can work. Mm -hmm. We need PPs, DCs, MDs, right? This is a topic that is not covered in medical schools. So a lot of a lot of physios and a lot of allied health in general will assume that, well, I, I'm just going to send them back to their doctor. They're, the doctor knows probably less than you do about it. So having that deep level of understanding allows you to then go, okay, I know when I have to refer because I know when something is off. But for the, for the most part, it's just going, where are the dysfunctions? Let's figure it out. Let's move forward. Here's the evidence. Here's what we know. Um, and And there you go. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't pretend to know everything about like the pathophysiological processes. Obviously there's a lot of complicated things going on that uh, we might not even totally understand at this point, but it still does seem like it's a lot of like stress and adaptation similar to maybe a lot of the other things that we would treat. Like we were kind of talking before the podcast about like how you wouldn't look at a strain and treat it any differently. Right. Like it's, it's all about finding that kind of starting point. And then figuring out what are the contributing factors and what can we modify and go from there. It actually yeah. seems like kind of similar to other physiotherapy and chiropractic uh, treatment and yeah. approaches, just kind of in yeah. a different uh, area and something maybe we're not as comfortable with. Well, I think it, it's, it's the fact that it's the brain that I think scares, you know, mm-hmm. people away from doing it because and it's, it's, and I mean, the thing to keep in mind is that concussion is a functional injury, right? So there's no, there's right. no structural damage, you know, that's, that's at least as far as we know from a, from a, from a kind of a um, large scale perspective, there's no, there's no damage. If we look at an MRI or a CT scan, I mean, by definition, concussion will show nothing. If there's something there, it means it's something more than a concussion. And so right. the, the, the entire concussion injury is just a change or alteration and how the brain functions for a period of time. And that period of time is actually quite short. It's maybe three to six weeks kind of thing. Uh, and everyone's a little bit, you know, different. But, but beyond that, um, you know, there's things that we can do um, for rehab and treatment. And actually, even before that, there's things for, for rehab and treatment. Um, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot, a lot of overlap with whiplash. Like, Right. A ton. That was something I found really interesting that I read one of your blogs um, and it was talking about that idea that like with every concussion comes whiplash and that differentiating between um, like whether it's a concussion, like symptoms are driven by the concussion or whether it's driven by the whiplash. And that's something that, I mean, I had no idea that that was like even a thing. That was my, that was my entire thesis. So my, my thesis, my thesis for my residency when I was, when I was doing my sports med, a fellowship was comparing concussion versus whiplash. And we wanted to look at what the, um, what the difference and see if we could actually tell people apart if 
cervicogenic or if they were concussed. And so uh, this is, I actually partnered with the University of Buffalo. And so um, Dr. John Letty and Barry Willer are very well-known people in the space. And they have a lot of, uh, they're the ones who started, you know, the idea of exercise as a treatment uh, for, for post-concussion syndrome and, um, and of tackling the, the blood flow, you know, issue. And so, um, really, really well-known kind of guys, but I'd read a couple of papers from them and kind of one of their algorithms, okay, you run the treadmill test. If the person passes, well, then it's not a blood flow issue. Well, then what is it? And the, the criteria that they had laid out there, they were, it was like migraine potentially, um, vestibular, um, psychological and cervicogenic. And I was like, huh, well, that's interesting. Cervicogenic, why would that be? And so I started looking at kind of biomechanical uh, research and, and you find out, well, how much force does it take to cause a concussion you know, injury? Well, it takes between 70 and 120 Gs, according to a lot of the helmeted um, research studies that done in the U.S. On, on football players. They put accelerometers in their helmets and they'll look at, you know, thousands and thousands of hits over a period of time. And they find that, you know, the range of concussion is between 70 and 120 Gs with the peak kind of force happening around 98, you know, Gs of, of acceleration. And then you go over to the whiplash side of things and you read papers from the Quebec task force and other things where they're looking at the biomechanics of whiplash and how much force it takes. Well, mild cervical strain injury happens in only four and a half G's. So you, you, there's no way like your head and neck are attached. Right. If your head, if your head, both are acceleration injuries. Okay. And if your head and neck are attached, well, you can't move one without the other. The, yeah. the only other potential kind of, you know, um, differentiating thing, or I guess difference would be in blast injuries where it's a shock wave that goes through and kind of hits the brain from without necessarily whipping the head back and forth, but the shock wave itself can compress the brain, you know, and, and do that. And so that one, you could probably have a concussion without having a whiplash injury. Um, yeah. But, but in sports injuries, I mean, that's, you're going to get one every time, right? It's right, the motion right. of the head. It's, and so now well, let's look at the symptoms of the two conditions. And there's a lot of stuff out of like jaw and tree living in, in, uh, in Australia and New Zealand. And if you look at like the symptoms, symptom skills. It's like they've done stuff on whiplash having cognitive impairments, balance impairments, ocular motor impairments, right? And and a lot of people don't know this, but your eyes and the way your eyes move and the way that, you know, if you if you were to do kind of a visual scan across a room, your you the muscles in your neck will actually fire because in prep because if something's moving over to your right, you want to make sure that your eyes and your neck are both moving to the right to see what the hell was that and is that uh, something I have to run away from? From, right from an evolutionary perspective and so anytime your eyes move the muscles that are meant to turn your eyes in the same direction will engage in preparation to go that direction um, and so when you think about ocular motor issues and vision impairments and dizziness and things like that whiplash patients have all these same symptoms so when you compare the symptoms side by side they are literally identical you can't tell the two apart and so what we wanted to do is go how does that actually play out in the real world so we took a whiplash question which is just a symptom like a symptom score questionnaire and we had all the symptoms of whiplash and we scored them from zero to four so zero being i don't have that symptom and then four being i have that symptom and it's quite severe then we took the post-concussion symptom scale which is the from the scat which is a zero to six symptom rating scale for headaches dizziness etc and we had people coming in with chronic whiplash so between um between 30 days and uh and a year 
So between 30 up to 100 or uh, 365 days or whatever. And then we had um, a, a whiplash group, same thing. So concussion or group with concussion, chronic, group with whiplash, chronic. And they came in and then we gave them both outcome measures. And we randomized which order they got them in. But they would just go through each outcome measure and they would circle, you know, which rating scale they had. And they would grab the other one. They'd go through all those symptoms and, and do it. And then after we compared the two measures and we found significant correlation between the two measures, we also found significant correlation between the two groups. We couldn't find any significant difference between mm. the two groups, whether they were whiplash or concussion. So if you're basing it on what was the mechanism of injury? Well, I got hit and my neck moved back and forth and all this stuff uh, and my head moved back and forth. Okay. Well, that's the same mechanism it is for whiplash. And it's funny because when you actually would read the case history of the patient, if they were hit directly in the head, the primary physician called it concussion. But if they had no direct impact or if they couldn't remember if they'd actually hit their head, they called it whiplash. But the okay. symptom score was the exact same. Just, and we know, we know that you don't have to get hit in the head right. to cause concussion. So how many of these whiplash patients actually had concussions, right? And how yeah. many of these concussions, because it takes a lot of force to get a concussion, but not a lot of force to get whiplash. So how many of these people got like a, a, a minor jar in the head, but because they'd hit their head, they were labeled as concussion and not necessarily whiplash. So, and just kind of to just kind of wrap this up, when you then take a look at the pathophysiology of concussion and kind of what goes on inside the brain, well, what it does is it affects kind of the cell's mitochondria and their ability to produce ATP. And so you get this drop in energy production within the cell. So the cells are actually burning more energy than they're making, which creates a deficit. Right. And that deficit, that deficit continues to go down for hours to days after the injury. You hit your flow kind of around a week or so, and then you start regaining that energy back up as the mitochondria repairs themselves. And so this entire process is that kind of three to six week thing that I was telling you about earlier. Mm -hmm. So now if, if that's concussion, if concussion is a temporary energy deficit, within the cells. And if that only lasts between, you know, three to six weeks, what the hell's going on beyond six weeks? Right? Well, then let's take a look at the timelines for whiplash. Okay. Well, whiplash, you get, you know, six months, a year, people are still having issues with just how their C-spine functions. And if the symptoms are the same and overlapping, right, right. You see where I'm getting at with this? Yeah. We start going, how many of these, how many of these patients are just walking around with an undiagnosed whiplash injury? and people go, well, they don't have neck pain. You know, I, I can't even tell you how many patients have come in and I've gone through the symptom scale with them for concussion. I say neck pain and they say zero and I go, all right. And but when you start digging around in there, you start applying some manual pressure up in the suboccipitals or if you start getting on their SCM yeah. and then they go, they go, Oh my God, right in my forehead. Ow, yeah. ow, ow. Didn't you just do a post? You just did a little post on Instagram about that with someone that you had, right? Where you were kind of doing yeah. it. Yeah. 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 That was that's, that's honestly like, that's, that's my every day. And yeah. these are patients that they're like six months, a year out there and they'll actually be so pissed off. They'll be like, why didn't anyone tell me this before? You know, like I've been doing like all this stuff and, blah, blah, blah. And I taking pills and whatever else. And no one's been able to tell me this. And I had to take a year off school and now I'm behind and yeah. it's, it's brutal, but it gives, that's what gives us the motivation to be like, okay, we got to help more people. We got to train more people. We got to get people because there are, there, there's um, close to half a million concussions that happen in Canada on a yearly basis. The U S is about three and a half million. Okay. Now 40% of those now, 30 to 40% are going on to have symptoms beyond a month. 
Right. Okay. Well, Jesus, like, and, and none of them probably, well, the majority probably have never gone to a physio, never gone to a Cairo. Yeah. Yeah. I think you touched on like the thing I think is there's a lot of misconceptions around concussion and you kind of hit on a couple already um, in terms of like the old idea of like resting in a dark room, like that's been put out the window. Um, this idea of differentiating between whiplash and concussion. Is there any other common themes that you see from other healthcare professionals or just like the public information that's known that people should, you know, be, be, maybe be a little bit more aware of? Um, I mean, I think that the, the rest thing is, is, is the major, uh, the major one. I think another one just from, uh, from a protective equipment standpoint, people think that, you know, helmets protect against concussions, but, um, you know, that, that's failed to be proven. It's, um, you know, the brain is moving inside the skull so you can wrap the head in whatever you want. You know, you don't even have to be hit in the head to get a concussion. You can get hit in the mm-hmm. body. And as long as enough, you know, force transmits to your head and you get that whipping motion, the brain's moving back and forth. So, I mean, helmets aren't going to be the answer. And I think that's a mis conception where you know parents will come in and be like well they were wearing their helmet well you know i'm sorry but that's just not how it works and same thing with mouth guards um you know mouth guards aren't going to prevent concussion i mean i don't even know who started that that seems like a little (laughs) bit outlandish to me just knowing just knowing the mechanisms of it i mean i don't know um i mean in terms of i think i think the the other misconception is that there is that there is no treatment it's just it's just time right we just wait. Um, and actually there was a panel, there was, um, there was an interesting kind of, um, consensus kind of statement that happened in the U S and this is not like the international consensus statement, but a lot of the like concussion experts from across the U S got together uh, a couple of years ago and they were just kind of reviewing the research and they were kind of developing just, uh, just kind of a consensus amongst themselves as kind of the foremost concussion, you know, experts across the United States. And, and one of the questions was, is concussion treatable? And literally like 96% of them said yes. So these are, you know, these are researchers, these are experts, these are clinicians. And so that's the point we're getting to now is that concussion is completely treatable. But the problem is people are going to healthcare professionals that may not have training in it and right. are, are listening to the media and are listening to the, the kind of the sob stories that people are giving them where you know, well, there is no treatment. Oh, it's the brain. We don't know a lot about it. And people just kind of, that's a cop-out. That's an absolute cop-out because there's a lot that we do know. There's a lot that we can do. And, and, you know, concussion is a treatable thing. So I think that's, that's probably a big one for both health professionals and, and, uh, and patients. I'm kind of uh, thinking about taking this back a bit. Uh, But I was curious, uh, we've learned a little bit about that treadmill test that you mentioned. Um, would you be able to take me through what goes on during that test and then kind of like what that's going to tell you? Like, how does that inform going forward? Yeah, I'd say, uh, so it's a walking test, right? So a lot of patients with post-concussion are very fear avoidant, you know, because, well, I can't do that because that flips me up and, and everything, you know, they're, they're scared to do a lot of things. And so, um, it's, it's a bit of a challenge, but one thing that people should know is that it is just a walking test. So, um, you start them off at a, at a zero incline and you put them, uh, at about 2.5 miles per hour. Um, and then there's, there's 
period, depending on what height they are as to what speed you actually go to. Um, we've just kind of standardized it as 3.3 miles an hour. Um, I think the Buffalo group goes between like 3.2 and 3.5 or something like that. They have a bit of a range. I think if you're above a certain height, they put you at the faster speed. Uh, We run 3.3 and I've done it on six-year-olds and it's fine. I've done it on, you know, 30-year-olds and it's fine. Um, And so what you do is you start them off at a zero incline, a standard pace, uh, walking pace of, you know, 3.3 miles an hour. And then each minute you raise the incline up a notch. So it goes up to one, then it goes up two then it goes up to three and you keep doing that on a, uh, every minute and each minute you're asking them a series of questions and so it's uh first of all you're looking at what their heart rate is each minute um secondly you're looking at what their rate of perceived exertion is so it's uh that six to 20 scale of where they are um and just in terms of how hard they're working uh and then you're also rating their overall condition so you've taken a symptom score before uh so you have an idea of what symptoms they're experiencing because this remember something that people are symptomatic right they're coming into you with 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 symptoms and so you're putting them on the treadmill and you don't really care about the symptoms they currently have but what you're looking for is does this make your symptoms worse that's kind of the defining feature of the test and so you ask what their symptoms are um, kind of on an overall global standpoint before you start zero to ten 10 is being like the worst they could ever imagine zero is being they feel a hundred percent so where do you feel kind of overall taking all your symptoms into consideration. People will say, okay, I, I'm a four. Okay. So you put them on the treadmill. Every minute the incline is going up. You're asking them those questions. Okay. What's your heart rate? Okay. It's 135. Okay, good. Now what's your RPE? They have a scale in front of them. They say, uh, it's about 12. Uh, okay. What's your overall condition? How would you rate yourself? Zero to 10. You know, there I'm about a five. Okay, great. You keep them going next minute. Same thing. Next minute. Same thing. And basically you're looking for, do they have a worsening of their condition with exercise? Um, If so, then you're stopping the test and you're considering that to be a a fail. And so what we can attribute that increase in symptoms to is an increase or is a, is a diff is a, is an issue with blood flow. Uh, They call it kind of So that's classified as what's called physiologic post-concussion syndrome. So that the idea is that, your the blood flow mechanisms to your brain the blood flow is is very highly regulated so there's kind of four main things that control blood flow into the brain and those mechanisms can become impaired following concussion and actually acutely we see about a 50 percent reduction in blood flow to the brain and in certain patients in certain patients that can linger and especially what they found is those that still have symptoms 14 days Uh, are more likely to have a blood flow issue. So that's why I say 14 days, I'm putting you on the treadmill, whether you like it or not. So this treadmill test assesses for it. And if they do fail it, if they do have symptom increase with this, that's okay. So what we say is, what's your heart rate? Well, let's say it's 135. Now the treatment for that condition is exercise. But we don't want them exercising at 135 because otherwise they're just provoking their symptoms on a daily basis. So now what we do is we say, okay, I want you working out at not 135, but let's knock you down to 90% of that or 80% of that, depending on their level. If they're an athlete and they're trying to get back to sport, I'd go 90. If they're a Joe Blow, you know, public, I'd go 80. Um, and and then now now let's say, okay, well, that gives us a heart rate of 120. Okay, so now I want you exercising on a daily basis for 20 to 30 minutes at a heart rate of 120 beats. Okay, get a heart rate monitor, 
and do that. And then they come back in a week, we put them on the treadmill test again. And hopefully this time they're not failing at 135. They're failing at 145. Okay. Take 80% of that, throw them down to 130 and you keep doing that. Uh, and then eventually they can, they can reach full physical exertion. And that, that, um, has been correlated with, with, um, improved, like complete resolution of blood flow abnormalities on fMRI studies and all these things. So, and also symptom resolution. So, um, that's, that's kind of the protocol for exercise, but at the same time, this is going on. You're also look, you've also maybe established there's a ocular motor issue and you're, you know, and now you're working on that too. So it's never kind of just one thing or the other, but, uh, that's essentially, uh, the Buffalo concussion treadmill test. I'm interested. So when you say exercise, when you have them, what are they doing just the walking or they, or they can go and do like a, just their general exercise program that, that they would do as athletes or as just the public. You want them doing steady state cardio. So I'll get guys a lot that ask if they can lift. Um, and the problem with that is that you're spiking your heart rate. So because, you know, you, you know, I tell you to be at 120, but then you, you know, you do a set and you're at 145. Well, and then you come back down. So on average, you're at 120, but those spikes are what's going to probably trigger your symptoms. And so I just get them steady state exercise. And so whatever they prefer, it could be stationary cycling. It could be uh, going for a brisk walk. It could be um, coming in and actually doing the treadmill test. I mean, sometimes they'll find that sweet spot of, of walking with incline that gets them right to that 120 level and they just stay there. And if they're, if they're getting a bit above 120, they maybe just lower the incline slightly. And now they kind of, they level out. So um, just steady state exercise as without, uh, without spiking is, uh, is the way to go. Nice. Interesting. Uh, the one question I had, I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but, um, it's, it's been popular in the physical therapy world, and I'm sure you probably see a lot in the chiral world, this idea of adopting the biopsychosocial approach to, to treatment. Um, I, I know we talked a lot about the physiological ways of going about treating concussion. Is there any common like psychological or social things that you, that you, that you use to treat or that you see often like problems with people that are coming in with concussion? Uh, yeah. Uh, I would say that, uh, and this is probably going to piss a lot of people off cause they don't like to, uh, there's still a stigma around mental health and the psychological aspects of things. But if you look at anything, chronic pain, injuries in general. I mean, if you look at like depression, for example, they've done studies with, um, you know, people with ACL tears, you know, let's say college athletes, they'll take uh, people with concussion, people with ACL tears, and they'll compare them. And their rates of, of, of depression are the same, right? It's an injury. People get upset when they can't play their sport or can't do the things they love. And so concussion gets this bad rap of being associated with depression, but a lot of injuries have the same level of depression depression as, as, as concussion does, but right. people don't like to admit that psychology can play into their recovery or maybe the reason why their symptoms are persisting. And so that generally is a tough one to, to kind of tiptoe around with a patient. You have to, you have to really bridge that gap, uh, in a, in a way that allows it, um, to not be, you know, judgmental or not make it mm-hmm. seem like you're, you're dismissing their, their symptoms. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's just, I think that's another thing that comes with practice, but I mean, the way that I do it, for example, is I'll explain like, okay, so you had a concussion and that was X number of months ago. And here you are today. This is what a concussion is. And I think education is a big way to 
help just ease their mind a little bit because a lot of the stuff is the unknown, right? They've probably been to a few people and no one's really explained to them what a concussion is. And so they're fearful. They yeah. listen to the media reports. They see the things about long-term brain damage. They see the, the correlations with suicide and all this other stuff. And they start thinking, holy shit, this is going to be me. Right. And that plays on them. And especially because what we've been doing with these patients is we've been telling them for years now that the only treatment is rest and don't go out with your friends. Don't even go on your phone. Don't listen to music. Don't watch TV. Don't read. What the fuck are they supposed to do? And so now, so now they're sitting at home by themselves, right? And they have no social network, right? They're sitting in sometimes a dark room. Like think about like seasonal affective disorder and like, you're not even able to do anything. Now you're not even allowed to like entertain yourself with a TV show. So now like, and then all you have to do is think about and focus on your symptoms and try getting symptoms to go away when you have things like light sensitivity or, you know, kind of balance impairments and, or, or, or let's say dizziness, right. And you're laying around all day and then all of a sudden you stand up quickly to go to the bath and then all of a sudden you get about a dizziness. Well, it's orthostatic. You've been laying there all day. That happens to every, like everyone. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a very, that's, that's life. And, but these people go, I'm still dizzy. Oh my God. Like, will this ever go away? And so now we start getting a misattribution of symptoms where regular stuff is attributed concussion when in fact it's just part of regular life. Like right. for example, all of, all of patients in my office and I'll ask the question about light sensitivity. So we're going through the symptom score and I do this with every patient on every visit just to try and show. And this is another psychological tool that I use is, is showcasing that their symptoms have gotten better since I saw them last time. Right. Subjectively, they'll come in and be like, Oh, I feel the same. And then you go through the symptoms and you're like, you're 10 points less than what you were last time I saw you. Oh, Oh, okay. And then they get a little bit more of, 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 you know, excitement and motivation out of that fact. So the, where, where was I going with this? So what I'm saying is when, um, when patients are asked about light sensitivity, immediately in my office, they'll, they'll look right directly at a light bulb and then, be like, <laughs> and then go, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. That is my, I'm sensitive to light. Yeah. I'll rate that a four. Okay. No. No, that is not light sensitivity. Like if if I like go stare at the sun and tell me you have light sensitivity, that's ridiculous. Right. So that's the thing. But these patients, when they're sitting in their room by themselves, not able to do anything, they start testing themselves. Okay. They don't know any better. Exactly. That's that's what, that's that's what they've been, that's what they've been told by everyone that they've seen. Exactly. And that's, and that's, that's the problem because they'll, they'll sit there and they'll just stare at something for a while and be like, is my vision blurry? And if you let your eyes stare at something long enough, that will go blurry, right? And that's, and that's the thing. So, so think about what that does now to a patient. And, and this is no fault of their own by any means. Like I'm not saying that. This is, just, this is just complete mismanagement of the injury. And so when they come to see me, the, the best thing that I find to do from a psychological standpoint is provide that education. Here's what a concussion is. Here's what happens inside the brain. Here's the energy that drops. Here's how long it takes to get back up. Let's say it's three to six weeks. You're at, you're at six months. Okay. You're beyond, you're recovered. You're out of this. Now, what is going on? So we have five potential causes of post-concussion syndrome. Okay. There's a few like more obscure ones that we can get into if those ones um, prove not to be the answer. 
So number one is blood flow. So the first thing we're going to do is put you on the treadmill test and I explain all that stuff. Second is metabolic or inflammatory. So inflammation, maybe it's the diet. What are you eating? You know, how much inflammation is your diet promoting? Um, even things like depression, anxiety have been attributed to high carbohydrate diets. You know what I mean? So like, let's yeah. maybe get them off that. Right. So, so, so that's another one. Um, uh, there's also supplements and stuff you can take to try and boost that ATP store. Uh, there's things you can take to, I mean, people have a lot of sleep disturbances and things like that. And um, that can be dietary as well. Number three is vestibular or visual. And I put those ones together because they often do go hand in hand. Number four is neck. And you can actually probably slump all of those ones in together, neck, vestibular, and visual, because they're often very kind of interrelated. Uh, and then number five is the psychological. And and I'll, I say this every time I say, and it's not to say that you're crazy. It's not that you're making this up. Okay. It's just that things like anxiety, things like depression can cause the same symptoms as concussion. Um, and, uh, also when you get this far out, you know, you're trying to remember what normal is like, well, what is normal, right? Do you even remember what it's like to be normal? And if they don't, well, what are you trying to get back to? Right. And so there's a, there's a very well-known phenomenon called the good old days bias and what, and it's, and it's been, it's been heavily studied in, in concussion. Uh, it has a great name and I love, I love it for that. But, um, but what it, but what it is, is that people with an injury and in, in particular concussion will always assume that they were better off before the injury than they are now. And they'll always assume actually that they were better off before the injury than anyone else in the world. And they don't actually necessarily assume that outright, but the studies they've done, for example, is if you have a group of a hundred people and you give them the post-concussion symptom scale and you said, rate yourself as you feel right now. Well, some people will have headaches. Some people will feel tired. Some people will be having trouble falling asleep at night. Some people will feel sad. And you'll go through this whole list and you'll get people that will have kind of a range, but it won't be zero, right? Like very few people can go through that list and say there's zero across the board. When you then go and you take 100 people with post-concussion syndrome and you say, rate yourself on this symptom as you think you were one month before your injury happened. Zeros all the way down the board. Yeah. So, And this is consistent, consistent. They will assume that they... Are, they were better before their injury than literally anyone in the population. And that I think is, is something that, you know, when you educate them on that and you say, look, this is not, I'm not saying that you're making this up, but when a, when you're been told to sit and do nothing for a while, you start, you know, you start having anxiety, you start having depression, you're socially isolated. It sucks. And all you have to do is focus on your symptoms. Well, sitting and focusing on your symptoms is not good for you. And that can create more anxiety and that can actually further and actually exacerbate your symptoms because they're so top of mind that you can't get around it. Right. And then now you're so far out that you're trying to get back to this ideal level of normal that never really existed. I mean, people come in and say, well, um, you know, Oh, my memory is so, so bad. And it's like, well, you know, like what happened? Oh, like the other day I, um, I, I came home from grocery shopping. I like left the celery on the counter by accident for like four hours and I came back and saw it sitting there that's not, that's not a memory impairment. No. That's, that's literally a lapse in judgment. I'm like, <laughs> like literally, literally, like literally two weeks ago, I put the milk in the cupboard above the fridge and I didn't find it. <laughs> that day. I'm not even, I'm not even joking. No, that this is this, oh, right. This is. Sure. And so like, that's, this is like regular life, but for somebody with a concussion, that's a memory impairment, right? right. So Trying to just educate them on what is normal life, right? Is dizziness when you stand, like describe dizziness to me. 
oh, when I'm sitting for a while and I stand up quickly, I get, you know, dizzy. And it's like, okay, well, do you feel like you're going to faint? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just lightheadedness. That's a, that's an orthostatic thing. That's because you're, you know, it takes six seconds or so for your heart rate to catch up to the change in, um, you know, the change in pressures. And you got to, you know, you got to pump blood to your head. And that's, that's just what happens sometimes. Um, and you, you're deconditioned, you're laying in bed all day. And that mm-hmm. makes it that problem actually worse. So, mm-hmm. you know, just I think education, and that's the thing, when you understand it to a like a really deep level, uh, I think that's what's the most important thing for concussion patients, because somebody who doesn't understand it to that level plays into these, you know, uh, thought viruses, they play, they play into right. the patient's fears it's an easy answer right? for them, right it's an easy it's an easy kind of i don't want to say out but if you don't really know you're just going to kind of go with what's a common theme that the patient might or the, that they might understand and you just kind of go right with yeah. right so you hear let's say you're you're uh you're a physician and uh you know you're not really up on your concussion knowledge but um you know you saw a report on 60 minutes about how concussions can cause long-term brain damage well okay so now you're in with your patient and the patient comes in and they're, they're, you know, a former athlete or whatever. And they say, you know, I've been having these issues and I think I'm having like memory impairments and blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. Like I, you know, that can happen. And then well now it's like, holy shit, my doctor just reaffirmed my belief that something's going wrong and here I am. And now that creates, you know, a whole other layer of stuff where, you know what I mean? So, um, and, and again, I'm not trying to like downplay this, but what I'm saying, this is a real, real problem and being able to take this and look at it from a, from a lens of, of just, you know, better understanding, I think is, is beneficial to be able to, to kind of ease a patient's mind. And actually, mm-hmm. this is interesting. I should run a study on this, but what we've done, uh, what I've noticed in the trend, at least looking at my, at my data from my clinic is when patients will come in, I'll take their symptom score, the, you know, zero to 132 uh, rating point system um, on 22 symptoms. And they'll, they'll come in and let's say their initial symptom score is like 55. I always will spend the last 10, 15 minutes of every appointment explaining all of that to them. All of that. Like, don't Google. Here's what it is. Here's what we know. Here's what the steps are. We're going to do this, 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 and this. We're going to cross things off the list and everything else. They'll come back literally like the next day to do their treadmill test. And I'll say, okay, what's your, you know, go through all the symptoms. Their score will be half of what it was the day before. (laughs) Half. I haven't touched anybody. I haven't done anything. I've just provided, you know, education. Right. Cause they feel like they have a plan of action and they kind of know what to expect. Right. Like you're setting those expectations early. I feel right. like it's so similar to even like what uh, we see with just like general pain. Like you're talking about kind of the, the whole like rumination thing. Mm. Like you'll have people who are literally writing how their pain is changing like hour to hour and they'll yeah, come oh, back yeah. and they'll be like, Oh, you know, this one hour on Tuesday, my back pain. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, sometimes they just need that reassurance. Like, Hey, look, this is normal. It's, it's normal to not be perfect. Yeah. And if you look long enough, you're going to notice some of these things. Right. 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 And that's the thing. So for example, patient yesterday, it was like, I was going through the symptoms and I was like, um, headache two, two, uh, dizziness. Oh, four. Oh, wow. Okay. That's new. Um, what happened? Well, it was three days ago. And she's now reporting it now. Like, like, well, how do you feel like now? You know, like she had a, she had a five minute bout of dizziness three days ago. And that's where she comes up and says it's four. Like I'm thinking four, like how did you even walk in here at a four or at a six? (laughs) And then, 
and then and then headache and I said okay where's your headache today and that'll help me to kind of isolate you know maybe some muscles we can start looking at oh no I don't have headache today well when did you have oh it was three days ago okay so your headache is a zero then like you know I don't I it just it's it's the this history that yeah. they can't get rid of you know sometimes where it's like they're remembering two weeks ago and they're telling yeah. you now and it seems like their symptoms are still high but it's it's really um you know it's 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 a it's a balancing act of of trying to um trying to educate reassure uh and just slowly kind of bring things down and i think one of the best things is is like you know bigging up the accomplishments of oh look yeah. oh man you're doing great this is awesome and just kind of get them motivated hey yeah cool i'm doing good uh i think that helps yeah we've even talked about that before like uh we kind of learned this from a course that we took but even like simple things like even your your typical like valgus knee stress test you're doing it and it's not painful and like pump that up yeah. oh yeah like, yeah you hey, look how strong your knee is now it's so yeah. strong like this yeah. is unbelievable like this hurt you last week and this week it doesn't yeah well that's that's that like injuries injuries suck yeah yeah and, and so you know showing that somebody's on the right track and that, you know, the rehab that they're doing and the effort they're putting in is actually paying off is, uh, is just motivation, I think for anything. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about, um, the Rowan's law and the, the, uh, idea around like the, um, how that came into play. And I, I read it on your website that it was one of the things that kind of pushed you to, to, um, start going into the like launch your 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 business yeah so um i mean for those that don't know rowan stringer was a high school rugby player in ottawa that uh passed away in 2000 and i think it was 12 um and it was when i was first getting into the kind of research end of things with concussion but uh what it came out as is that she had died from uh, what's called the second impact syndrome and so when you get when you get a concussion and your brain's in that low energy state that I was talking about well in that state your brain is very vulnerable to getting another hit and so another hit at that time period even if it's lower in magnitude can cause a concussion like another concussion on top of the one you already have and then that causes your energy stores to just plummet to the point where the brain cells can't even survive and so they start undergoing apoptosis and you get this massive swelling uh, within the brain that happens very very quickly and um, and so two concussions back to back can actually become a fatal thing. And that's really the concern about concussion, you know, having a concussion or two in your life, you know, probably won't do anything for you long-term. Have two concussions back to back can be a fatal occurrence. And, and typically only in kids, um, you know, under the age of 18 is all the case reports done in the, in this area. Um, and that, and so, but you can look at second impact syndrome as having two concussions back to back where you just have a really, really prolonged outcome, right? Like Sidney Crosby, I would consider that to be, you know, a second impact scenario because he had concussion in the winter classic, uh, although they, they're not admitting that, but then he had the second one. It was just kind of a little bump along the boards and that put him out for an entire year right? right? or even more. So, so, you know, that's, I think we can look at it that way too, but in Rowan Stringer's case, it was uh, unfortunate, but she had, um, she had played and I think she, she never, she hadn't told anybody. She never told anybody she had a concussion. I think her friends knew, uh, they found some text messages, I think between her and her friends. And they also looked at her Google search history on her computer after the fact and she found you know searches for you know what is a concussion how do i know if i have a concussion can i die from a concussion like these types of searches were happening 
And um, so it turns out she, I think she had a concussion on Wednesday. Uh, and then she played again on Sunday. And I think she got hit again on Sunday. And I think then again, the following Wednesday, uh, she played again. And I think that was, uh, she got hit and collapsed on the field and, and never regained consciousness. And so they took her to the hospital and they tried to relieve the swelling and, and um, they, they weren't able to. And so um, her parents, um, Gordon and Kathleen Stringer, uh, started working with um, uh, Dr. Charles Tatter, who's a neurosurgeon, uh, really renowned um, concussion doctor uh, here in Toronto. And uh, they started working together about formulating legislation around concussion because actually, and it was interesting, like, I guess not interesting, but unfortunate that the year that Rowan died, I guess there was, there was concussion legislation that was already on the table and, um, and it didn't, it didn't pass. And, um, you know, it potentially, I mean, it could have been, it could have been life-saving for, for her. So, so Rowan's law was, was kind of a private member's bill that was put forth by, um, by an MP, uh, MPP from, uh, Ottawa area, which is where she lived, um, uh, named Lisa McLeod. And so she'd been working through putting this through and, and, and so when Rowan first passed away and I found second impact syndrome and I was doing all this research and I was like, holy shit, like but what we know from animal studies, it's this metabolic low that we have to watch out for. The problem with concussion is when those energy states are low and when that mitochondria function is impaired, the symptoms actually can go away where you can actually feel a hundred percent. And actually in her case, she was not symptomatic from what we know from what a friend said, she was back to feeling fine. And so just because you're feeling better with concussion doesn't necessarily mean your brain is recovered. And that's what makes this so difficult, right? I think the easiest way for people to, to understand it is if, if you were to break your arm, right? Well, that hurts like hell. Okay. You're going to get, you're going to go to the doctor, you're going to take an x-ray and then they're going to see, Oh, there's the break. And then they're going to put a cast on it. And you know, after about a week or so, I mean, the break doesn't hurt anymore right? Like your arm doesn't hurt anymore. You got a cast on it, so you can't really do anything, but the arm itself isn't in pain, right? Does that mean you can cut the cast off and go play? Well, no, because the bone and the structure underneath that is still healing, right? And so it's the same thing with concussion. And this is what people need to wrap their minds around is that using symptoms as the approach to when you're better is completely idiotic because from all the studies we know that have looked at this metabolic low, we know that in that low state, State is when the brain is vulnerable. And we know this from animal studies and a couple of human studies, where if you get a concussion in that, your recovery ends up being extrapolated, your symptoms last way, way, way longer. But the, the symptoms tend to go away around that seven to 10 day range for most people. But yet, like I said, remember, we're looking at three to six weeks out before the brain actually recovers. Okay. So how do we prevent second impact injuries in sport? And that was really my big thing is because if we were just to make sure that we weren't clearing anybody to go back to play, while they were in this kind of metabolic low, then sports would be safer. And there's also studies that show when you look at the long-term effects like CTE, for example, when you get multiple concussions in a, in a short period of time, right? It's not necessarily the number of concussions you get. It's in that short period of time. So um, I'll tell you about another study that I, that I really like to quote, but this one was done looking at animals. And so in an animal uh, studies have shown that if you give them a concussion, uh, it's about a five day process for that enter into that low state and back up to full recovery. Now, if you hit that animal again at the five day point, it's, there's no cumulative effect. They just go through that same recovery and come back up. It just acts as an independent, you know, concussion. And 
If you were to hit that animal at day three, however, then you get that accumulation where now it, it actually starts to look more like a severe brain injury. And so one of the studies done looking at the long-term effects, these, these researchers wanted to take, so they took groups of rats and there was, there was uh, four different groups. One was a sham group that didn't get a concussion. One group got hit. Um, uh, they got five concussions. So they got a concussion every single month for five months. Group, group two got a concussion every single week for five weeks. Group one got a concussion every, or group three, sorry, got a concussion every single day for five days. So all groups got five concussions. The only difference was the amount of time they were spaced out. Right. One month, one month after the final injury, the group that had a concussion every day for five days was still impaired. The group that had a concussion every week for five weeks was slightly impaired, but not, not as bad. The group that had five concussions uh, spaced out by a month each was no different than a group that had never had a concussion before. Wow. Okay. Now, then they waited a year later to try and see the group that had a, a concussion every day for five days was still impaired a year later. The group that had concussion every month for five months was still no different from a group that had never had one. So now when we talk about the second impact scenario, and we talk about that metabolic low, it's crucial that we get out of that low, not only for preventing these acute catastrophic injuries in youth sports, but also potentially for the long-term issues that are happening right now. So whenever I explain that to people, I like to ask you know, this question, right? Does the NFL have a concussion problem or does the NFL have a concussion management problem? Yeah. Right. Is this entirely is maybe not to do anything with concussion. It's just the amount of time we've been giving these athletes and they're never getting out of that metabolic low and they're getting hit because they're getting cleared at day seven and they're going back boom now they're now you're down here now you're down here now you're creating permanent damage because now those brain cells are undergoing apoptosis because they don't even have the energy to maintain their own kind of life and now you're wondering why you have permanent damage well it's not necessarily concussions it's the way that we're dealing with them potentially potentially right there's still a lot of research to do in this area now when you look at the case of rowan stringer and i'm i'm learning all this i'm you know knee deep in this and yeah. I'm learning this and then, and then she dies and they attribute it to a second impact syndrome. You just go, Jesus Christ. You it's know, a- we like, A, we need more education. She didn't tell anybody. Right. So it's nobody's fault. It's, she didn't understand. We, we didn't like, even at the time we didn't really know a lot. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's not like we can blame, you know, a doctor who didn't do the right thing or anything like that. But the whole thing is with, with when I started this business was, okay, we need a way to try and make sure that people are doing the right steps, right? There's things that need to be done. There's treadmill tests that have to happen. We need to, research shows that, you know, providing physical exertion testing for an athlete prior to returning them to play can pick up subtleties that you wouldn't ever find at rest, right? So boom, but then you go, well, how many doctors are actually doing treadmill tests? Well, none. No, they don't have, they don't have it. Okay. So, well, who can we get to do this? Well, let's get physios and chiros doing it, right? They have the time, they have the space, they have the equipment. Then you look at the treatment of this injury. Well, it's all rehab based. Well, they're the perfect candidates. Uh, can they do a neurological exam? Like, yeah, you guys learn how to do neurological exams, right? You know how to do a cranial nerve screen, a cerebellar test. Yeah. Okay. That's all you need to know how to do because all you need to know how to do to manage concussions is to be able to rule out more serious shit. If you know how to rule out like a red flag issue and pay attention and know when to send somebody to the hospital because they're repeatedly vomiting in your office, that's, that's all you really know, need to know how to do. You need to know how to do a good neuro. And then the rest was just kind of managing these injuries through this process. And so our whole thing was we need to get people out of this 
metabolic low before allowing them to go back to play. But we, in order to do that, we need to do physical exertion testing, right? In order to do that, we need to have good, good objective baseline measures, right? So we need to test athletes before the season starts. Now, if you look at baseline testing, there's a number of you know issues with baseline testing just because most studies will study one element. You know, they'll look at, well, the, the SAC test uh, shows, uh, you know, really brutal test retest reliability. And therefore, why are we doing it as a, as a baseline or the impact test has issues with test retest reliability and why are we doing it and blah, blah, blah. So the problem is when you test anything as an individual thing, right, that's, it's, it's, it's not going to work appropriately. If you take any condition in medicine or healthcare, right? Like you're not going to, you're not going to do, you know, a, um, uh, like a, let's say just like a, like Murray's test and call it a meniscal tear. Right. right? No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, but if you do your McMurray's and that's positive and then you do your Thessaly and that's positive and you start, you know, you start working down the list and now you've developed a diagnosis based on a multitude of tests. And so concussion is the same, but unfortunately a lot of studies look at it one piece at a time and show all these issues. And so we needed a battery and we knew we needed a battery. So we went around and collected all the best tests we could find and we put them all together and then we train the clinics on how to administer them appropriately. So now when we get a clinic in an area, we'll go and talk to the local hockey club, rugby club, uh, you know, soccer club, whatever, and we'll link them with that clinic. So we're helping to kind of merge those together and say, here's a clinic in your area that's trained on all this shit that knows how to do it, that can manage it all the way through. It's going to run your athletes through this highly objective, you know, baseline test. And the idea of a baseline and what most people get wrong is it's, it's not to make your diagnosis, right? Diagnosis of concussion very rarely requires any type of testing procedures. The issue and the importance of baseline testing is once your symptoms go away and once you think you're ready to play, let's put you on the treadmill and see how you do. If you pass, then let's get you practicing in a non-contact environment. If you're good with that, then you come back in. Then we run you through what's called the Chicago Blackhawks test, which is a more intense game-like scenario, physical exertion test designed for athletes going back to high-risk sport. If you pass that, then we take you when you're tired of shit and put you in through balance, reaction time, memory, concentration, visual tracking tests, and then we compare it to how you were when you were healthy. And we say, okay, your balance is still off, your reaction time is still slow, and uh, your strength is still a little bit weak. So I know you feel better, but we're going to hold you back. Yeah. Now I have a reason as to why I can do that, right? Because you're always going to get the dad who's like, but he has a big tournament this weekend and right. blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, yeah, but so you go, well, now, you know, at least I can show these two things side by side and say, well, what do you think? It gives you some, just some backing. And then, and then people like parents, I feel like, especially I'm sure you deal with a lot of it, will hopefully see that and be like, oh, okay. Like that makes sense. You know, and, and if you don't have that backing, I feel like sometimes the parent will be like, oh, you know, he's fine. He's okay. We'll just, we'll just send him back. And based yeah. off what you just said, that's not a good thing to do. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not a good thing to do. And we know, and there's the thing, we know that once symptoms go way not only we know this metabolic low is happening but we've picked it up in these physical measures we know that there's still balance impairments that linger we know that there's still all sorts of functional and cognitive deficits that are lingering beyond you know symptom resolution and so most of the protocols that are out there and most physicians that are out there is just you know patient comes in i have five minutes to spend with them how you doing how you feeling i'm good i think i'm ready okay no symptoms no i'm good okay sign off here's your letter go play right and and here's the thing even if that doctor doesn't do it they'll start doctor shopping they'll head they'll hit a walk-in clinic, you know. So what we need to do as organized sports programs in this area is say, you know what, I'm not taking any doctor's note 
right? I'm taking a doctor's note from these guys. And that's, and that's it. Like, mm-hmm. that's the way it has to be. You have to have some credibility behind what you're doing and, yeah. and understand why you're doing the things you're doing and why am I holding an athlete back, right? It's, it's, you have dysfunction. Like, there's, it's clear, it's plain as day, and I'm showing you side by side. And then you get a dad that goes, okay, I'm glad, yeah. I, I'm glad I know. I'm going to hold him out, right? I'm not going to try and sneak him on the bench over the weekend. So Yeah. It's interesting to me, like, just – kind of some like wrapping it up and summarizing it all. It's just like when you look at concussion, um, you, you really aren't treating it any different than you would be treating other injuries, but people get this misconception of it. But really like what you've been saying the whole time is make sure you're ruling out red flags. You're following a certain procedure. You're, you're, you're following the symptoms. You're taking into consideration like biological factors, social factors, psychological factors, all those things. And then you're coming up with a treatment plan and implementing it and gradually returning them back to what they're, they want to do. And it's really no different than what you would do for, like we talked about earlier, like say a calf strain or an ACL tear. But for some reason, I think maybe you can comment on a little bit, but it's, it's just because it involves a brain and you can't physically see it. And there's just a lot of, I think, misunderstanding of it. People think it's something way bigger than maybe it is. Yeah, I think that's it. I think the media hype around it. Um, I think the um, you know, the concern in in sports and things like that. I think is blown it way out of proportion. Uh, you know, there's the pendulum swinging from like we don't give a shit about concussion, skate it off. To holy shit, like is that a concussion? Don't eat, sleep, drink, or breathe. Like <laughs> right. you know, like yeah. it's 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 crazy how we've swung way over to that other side. And so um, it's but you're you're exactly right. It's it's an injury right? It requires rehabilitation. It requires the right approach. It requires a treatment plan. It requires um, guided therapy from an ex- from, from experienced therapist mm-hmm. that knows what and why they're doing and when they're doing it and, and how they're going to administer it. And I think that's, that's really all it takes like anything. Um, but you know, it's, it, it's, it's very interesting that you say that because it's, like I said, all this stuff is within our skill sets. But when you look at, for example, like the implementation of Rowan's law, like the Rowan's law committee report, actually suggested that concussion can only be seen and diagnosed by a physician or nurse practitioner, right? Completely cutting out physio, chiro, and all the other professions like athletic therapy. They're on the sidelines. Are you telling me that an athletic therapist can't diagnose concussion? But there's a few, you know, kind of individuals within and around this kind of area that are, that are very um, anti, you know, therapists being involved in kind of the diagnostic decision making. And it just, it's, um, it's really unfortunate because ultimately it's the patients who, who suffer because, you know, it's like, this is the thing. Like I see the patients that have been to their family doctor who has never, ever learned about concussion and they've been told the wrong information. And it's just like, Oh my God, it shouldn't matter what professional designation you are. It's what's your competency in this area, right? If you're, if you're, if, if you're, if you're a friggin' neurologist and you don't know anything about concussion, well, you shouldn't be seeing concussion patients, right? If you're, if your focus is on like, you know, Guillain-Barre syndrome and ALS, like that should be your focus, not concussion, right? It's the same thing goes for physio. If you're a, if you're a cardiorespiratory physio, like you, if you don't have any training in concussion, like why you wouldn't be seeing concussion patients, right? And so that's, that's really, um, I think the crux of it, it shouldn't depend on professional designation, but just rather on, on, on competency because, it's an injury. It requires rehab. Like, you know, any other injury, uh, you have to just keep your, keep your mind up, 
always be watching for red flags, but it's like anything guy comes in with low back pain. You're looking for, for night sweats, night pain, you know, weight loss and all those cancer signs, right? Because you're ruling out red flags. And this is something that I think a lot of the public doesn't understand as well. And especially some of these lawmakers that are trying to decide on whether or not to implement this kind of physician only policy is, is they just, they just assume that it's concussion and it's complicated. Right. They just assume yeah. that that's, that's, that's the way it is. And so it should be, you know, physician only that's, that's doing this. But in fact, it's allied health. Our entire life is ruling shit out. Like we yeah. spend every, oh, like yeah. we spend every, right. Because no, if yeah. we mess up, if we mess up, it's like big time, right. You know, doctor messes up, they might get slapped on the wrist or whatever. But like, if we mess up, it is like big time. It makes headlines, right. Think about this, a Cairo, a Cairo makes a mistake that is all over the media. Right. <laughs> and so, so all we're doing constantly, and you guys can attest to this too, is every patient you see, you're going, okay, what is something bad here? Is this cancer? Should mm-hmm. I order x-rays? What's going on? Right. So you're always playing that in your mind. And the same thing with concussion. I think we're, we're really well suited for this area because we do have our minds about us when, when we're thinking about red flag issues. And, uh, and then again, it's just, it's just the skill sets that we already possess. I think we're, we're in optimal position um, to really be kind of taking this field. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of our mission and, um, you know, coming on chatting with you guys and hopefully spreading the message to uh, PTs everywhere. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's a good spot to wrap it up. I, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk with us. I think it's super important to continue to get this message out because just from having this conversation with you, for me personally, I, I've learned a lot and it kind of even just changed my mindset around a couple of things. And I think it's important that uh, people realize the important role that we as allied health professionals sit in and that we can actually have a super big impact um, on what's going on with, with the, uh, the concussions that are just seem to be getting bigger and bigger, becoming a, like the problem, especially in the sporting world. So it's uh, it's awesome that we have people in the field like you that are, that are taking the lead and, in uh, educating us. Thank you boys for having me. Yeah. Do you want to uh, just leave where everyone can maybe find you like your Instagram, uh, your website, just kind of direct people to where they can learn more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, On the website front um, for clinics that are interested in kind of joining up with the complete concussion management network and taking our training, uh, they can go to um, completeconcussions.com, And then there's a tab there for healthcare practitioners. Um, And uh, the link is usually become a clinic. Um, within that. So um, take a look at that. If, uh, if you're a clinic and you're interested in kind of getting involved with, with the concussion space, learning more uh, for those that are interested in um, you know, the Instagram side of things uh, you can follow at um, complete concussions on, on Instagram uh, at CCM concussions on Twitter. Uh, my personal um, Instagram for, um, for kind of concussion space is at concussion underscore doc. Uh, on on Instagram and now on Facebook. I don't really think anyone like follows me on Facebook though. But <laughs> I've been I've started to repost some stuff. Also at concussion underscore doc on uh, Twitter. But I'm not necessarily the most active uh, tweeter. But I have my moments. Couple of tweets once in a while, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I, I think I I think I threw out about 35 uh, in the past two days. Uh, just there you go. Nice. There was, there was some there were some conversations going on that I just kind of jumped in on, but. Cool. Um, but yeah, not to follow that, us on Twitter because we only have like 18. Yeah, we only have 18 followers <laughs> on our Twitter page right now. So we can... Well, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. Where, yeah. where you at? <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks, thanks for coming on again. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Yeah, thanks, right. guys. Yeah. Cheers.
right, guys, that wraps up episode 17 with Dr. Cameron Marshall. We really appreciate him coming on and dropping a lot of knowledge in regards to concussion. He's clearly, clearly invested um, in the field and is making a huge impact with his um, his business, com- Complete Concussion Management. So, guys, please head over to his Instagram page, his website, and check it out. Um, it really changed my mind and Will's mind on um, how – allied health professionals can treat concussion and have a big impact in helping a lot of people. So I think you guys should really um, consider taking a look at what he's doing. So thanks again, guys, for tuning in. Um, if you guys like the episode, I please, please encourage you to share it with one other person. Head over to iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, drop us a review. It helps us grow. It helps us get feedback on um, what you guys think about the podcast. And and don't feel, don't feel like you can't reach out to us. We love to hear from you guys. We want to know who you guys want to hear have us talk to um, maybe some topics of discussion. We really want to start interacting with you guys a lot more. So hit us up at the MVMTPTs on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can also email us themovementpts at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Peace.